family They love the family, they love the movies Hello and welcome to Film with Family, I'm Austin And I'm Zach And we are two cousins who like to talk about movies And this week we have a very special guest My brother-in-law Kim's husband, Steve's son-in-law, just to give some context to our listeners. Well, backstory. Richard Bolton. Hey! <laughs> hey, Rich. <I'm> here. <laughs> and uh, Rich, I would like you to meet my cousin, Zach, who I don't think that you guys have ever spoken or talked to each other before. So I don't think we have either. Yeah. Rich, Zach, Zach, Rich. It's nice to meet you, Zach. Yeah, there was one time I thought, uh, you know, when we were doing this, I thought maybe we met in Ann Arbor or something, but um, mm-hmm. I don't think we did. I think it was yeah. completely. I don't so, know. I feel like uh, you feel like a new face to me, but it's great to meet you. <laughs> so, Rich, you just cracked open a brewski. I did. You're uh, reporting to us from Colorado. I'm in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, south of Denver. Nice. And I see that you have a Telluride Film Festival poster behind you. I do. Which uh, is in Colorado, right? Indeed it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, have you ever been? Uh, yes. So that year, actually, it was a pretty magical year. We, um, I was uh, working for a small uh, audiovisual company here in Denver. And um, yeah, I got to go down and work the film festival on the lighting crew. So. Nice. Yeah, it was awesome. I was in downtown Telluride for about three weeks. Um, drove down there with a with a truck full of lights and and my motorcycle on the back. Stayed there for three weeks and got to see all the movies for free. It was it was great. It was awesome. Wow. Yeah. Did you, what year was that? That it's the thirty seventh, and I think they just had their fiftieth. So I believe it was two thousand ten. Yeah, that checks out. And the crazy part was. It was 2010. I know because it was before we, me and Kim got married. She actually, at the same time, basically within days of when I left, she flew to Italy mm. and spent like a week there, um, you know, working for a, a family, like taking, watching the kids. Mm-hmm. So basically got all expenses for paid trip to Italy and then uh, came down and stayed with me down at the film festival and we just hung out. It was great. Wow. That was the year that, uh, uh, 127 hours, and I think Black Swan. Oh wow! Okay, um, premiered and what was it? there was one did other. You see one. Franco walking around there. I did see Franco, <laughs> and I, I I ran into Danny Boyle in the bookstore. That was cool. Oh, nice. Wow, that's, that's cool. cool. Did, did you say hi to him? I did. I did. I was like, I was like, hey, Danny. I, you know, I, I saw your movie earlier. I thought I probably said Mr. Boyle. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I saw your movie earlier. I really liked it. And he looked at me and he goes, I was so unprepared. He's like. Really? What did you like about it? And I was like, <laughs> uh, well, uh, <laughs> like when he cut his arm off. That was pretty, yeah, that was pretty cool. good. <laughs> when he survived and stuff. No, it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I remember he said at the beginning of it, he's like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's 127 hours of James Franco. And so if, if you're not really a Franco fan, you know, that might be the time to, uh, <laughs> not a Francophile. <laughs> you're not into this. Yeah. No, he was uh, he was there in the theater too. It was great. That's awesome. Um, Black Swan was in the I think like the middle school or high school auditorium, but like it was like a big theater set. 
And, uh, you know, I just have like the staff pass. So you get in after all, like the actual, you know, paying customers and all that, you know? So mm-hmm. we, we went to get in line and there was like, no way we were going to get into this thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You didn't but bump into the, Aronofsky. No, we did not. But I had the keys. I actually had the key to the theater in my back pocket. So oh. we just went around the loading dock and, and went in the back hmm. and then like, went out onto the floor to try and get seats. And there was like one of the ushers like, well, there's a seat there. And there's one like <laughs> 30 rows up over there. <laughs> I grabbed Kim's hand and I said, all right, the hell with this. And we went up to the catwalk and walked across and watched it from the spotlight booth. It was awesome. Oh, wow. That's great. like such a cool place to watch yeah. Black Swan, too, because like, yeah, it's it just such weird. a um, like a theater kind of movie. Yeah. So to watch it like from the rafters all the way up. Yeah, it was crazy. And we had to like cool. go across the catwalk because I, 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 I went out, you know, this is where we've been hanging all the lights. And I looked at him. I was like, do you have anything in your pockets? <laughs> Give me your purse <laughs> now. We should probably introduce the movie we're going to talk about today. I well, guess. yeah, um, yeah. I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to chat a little bit. Okay. Well, usually, usually we inter- rush it along. Usually, we like say what the movie is before we get into chit chat, but we haven't even said what the movie is yet. We're breaking down barriers here, all right? And today we'll be talking to Rich about a very, uh, a, one of his most favorite movies, I think. Indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. Joe Dante's nineteen eighty nine film. The Burbs, starring Tom Hanks. All Tom Hanks wanted was a quiet vacation at home. This is what I need, Carol. I I need this. Welcome to Mayfield Place. A typical street in the Burbs. Morning, Walter! Where nothing much ever happened. Walter's dog just took a dump on Rumsfield's lawn again. Until the Klopex moved in. Klopex? Klopex. Klopex. No one goes in. No one comes out. Neighbors from hell. It was a nice place to live. He said he thinks the Klopex are evil incarnate. Well, you're much too smart to fall for that, aren't you, honey? But now... Carol! You wouldn't want to visit there. Ray, this is Walter. No! The Burbs. I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Ray, do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? We found Walter! We got a real problem. I hit the gaslight, I'd run! God, I love this street. Tom Hanks. I think we are overreacting. No! The Burbs. It's one hell of a neighborhood. Hey, honey. I think we should move. Starring peak Tom Hanks, in my opinion. Peak Tom Hanks. Ooh, we can get into that. Certain type of Tom Hanks. There's several Tom Hanks, all right? And this happens to be one of my favorite varieties of Tom Hanks. (laughs) It's like a very, um, very young Hanks. Well, and I feel like this movie has like a lot of his kind of like signature one-liners and, you know, the way, you know, just kind of his, uh, his demeanor, it just really captures like young Tom Hanks and all the things, even when he takes on a serious role, all the little quirks and things are still there. And I think this movie kind of captures a lot of them. Yeah. You can tell that he's really kind of flexing his sitcom chops because, you know, he was in family ties and mm-hmm. bosom buddies in the, in the early eighties. And oh, wow. he's still got that baby face look to him. And 
he's really just ham hamming up his comedic beats. You know, he's he he yeah. seems like he's playing like a sitcom character in this movie. Totally, yeah. I mean, then the the whole the whole movie's hamming it up, right? I mean, that's kind of the whole point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But he fits in in a way that the Tom Hanks we know now, you wouldn't really see him in a role like that. It, or it doesn't, you don't, can't really no. imagine him in a role like that anymore. Um, no, absolutely not. I well, mean, now he's a man called Otto, which is a very grumpy man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very different. He's also grumpy in Asteroid City. That's true. Yeah. He's, he's, he's become more of a grump uh, in his, his recent projects, which is cool for him. Colonel Tom Parker, not uh, a very nice guy either. <laughs> That's true. That's an interesting performance. <laughs> <laughs> Very strange performance. Did you see that one, Rich? Elvis? Elvis? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. That was he a plays t- <laughs> the Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah. yeah. He talks like this the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was odd. But, uh, you know, I thought he did. I thought he did a good job. That was great. Yeah, I brought a lot of energy, made it fun. But yeah, the Burbs, this is the year after he did Big. And he would go on to do Turner and Hooch in the same year. Mm-hmm. Joe versus the Volcano the next year. But he's like starting to ramp up. Then 93, he gets Sleepless in Seattle and Philadelphia. Then Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, mm-hmm. Toy Story. He really gets on a big role in the early 90s there. Don't forget that thing you do. That thing that you thing do, you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is more, um, I don't know, just kind of more raw Tom Hanks. Not like trying to, you know... Like, I feel like he's just having fun with it. He's not developing his skills. He's not like out for a, you know, even trying to win an Oscar with this one. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. He understands the movie he's in. He's, he's having fun with it. Mm -hmm. I feel like pretty, pretty much everyone's having fun with it. I would say in this movie, I really liked Corey Feldman in this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Playing himself, basically. (laughs) (laughs) How old was he, do you think, when he made this? I don't know, but I heard that he was not in good shape during the shooting of this film. And apparently, like, Hanks and Dante and Carrie Fisher were, like, counseling him through the entire movie because he was, like, getting rowdy and, like, losing his way as an actor, I guess. And um, so, personally, I guess it wasn't a good time in Corey Feldman's life. And since then, nothing's changed. (laughs) And Zach... You and I might be seeing him in concert next week. That's true. Yeah, we're going to see him at Riot Fest, yeah. probably. He's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I also saw him at one of um, Steve's conventions. Corey oh, Feldman yeah. was a few tables down, and I saw him walking around, and he's got this like really weird look now where he looks like kind of a 50s gangster like he's oh, got yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like these big suits and like these big fedora hats and he is uh he's playing here in Denver on Thursday. Oh, to go. You got to go. Pizza dude. <laughs> Pizza dude. Oh, hey. Um yeah, I mean I think it's honestly Pete Corey Feldman too. <laughs> that may have been yes. the role of a lifetime for him. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, I'm trying to think of what else he's been in, but. The Goonies, right? Was that before or after? Of course, yeah. Goonies, he's in Gremlins, Stand By Me. But before we get too deep in the weeds on Feldman, I'm, I'm curious, Rich, <laughs> what, what, what's your history with this movie, uh, The Burbs? 
So, <laughs> so this movie, um, really Kim introduced me to it. I'm sure I had seen it or, or, you know, watched it part partially on TV as you do as a kid, you know, get it halfway through it or whatever. Um, but, uh, really it was, you know, um, after I met Kim in college that, that it really became something special. Um, Kim always used to talk about how, you know, her dad introduced her to it and they watched it together, um, you know, all the time, like he let her stay up late and watch it. And, you know, so, uh -huh. you know, we kind of got into it and, you know, we just had a lot of the running jokes and, you know, it's just, it, it's, I don't know, it's my kind of humor, first of all. So it's just cool for me, but it's also just something we kind of bonded in on. In fact, you know, but uh, Kim brought it up to her dad, you know, um, within the past uh, few years, you know, just kind of made a whole thing of, you know, how special it was. And he was like, mm -hmm. what the hell are you talking about? That was your mom. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is kind of one of those uh, ones that, you know, we just we watched it together early on and, and you know, laughed our asses off and just kind of have been ever since. And, you know, it's one of those that there's like four or five one liner kind of references that have just been going on for you know, almost 20 years at this point. So it's, it's just kind of ingrained. Such as? Such as, oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, we do, there go the damn brownies. <laughs> and then the, uh, <laughs> when he, dro when he like drops, yeah, the, when he, the when he falls boards. through the thing, there go the damn brownies. <laughs> um, we, yeah, the, uh, it came with the frame. <laughs> <laughs> anytime <laughs> anytime you're walking through like hobby or lobby or something you know <laughs> in with the frame um just a million of them There's so many that aren't even funny for you know little little throwaway ones that other people don't pick up on you know the, the carrie fisher little doggy graham just came for you you know like, <laughs> and we'll still be feeding the dogs in the morning Ooh, little doggy graham <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's great i actually this was my first time seeing it really yeah wow my first burb yeah it's my first burb as well <laughs> wow I, i'm i'm really happy to to burst your burb cherry uh, <laughs> burst your burb burble yeah you should be having a bourbon with a bourbon with a cherry in it you know <laughs> well, uh, in yeah well what what did you think of the movie then may i ask well, um, I, I wanted to say uh, before we get into that. No. Um, I see. I see. Well, I just wanted to say there is a apparently the movie is supposed to take place. You know, I think what is it? It's like it's like May Maywood or something like that or May Mayfield Mayfield Mayfield. Lane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the actual place is supposed to be like in Iowa, but that's where it looks like on the map. I've heard rumor. Some people have said this to me before I even saw the movie that it's supposed to take place in Park Ridge. Really? Or like a Park Ridge type town, I guess, like a, which is my hometown. So hmm. it's weird. We've we've like somehow circled back to uh my childhood with this movie. <laughs> I could definitely see it being very Park Ridge, very Park Ridgey for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, did it feel like Park Ridge to you, Austin, watching the movie? Did this feel like the kind of uh, dynamics that you experienced? <laughs> yes, like well, I had, I never experienced this specific dynamics, but... Well, um, you weren't on a cul-de-sac, you know? <laughs> I wasn't on a cul-de-sac. A little different there. There's only one way in, one way out, you know? It is a bit reminiscent of Park Ridge. Sure, yeah. Well, I, mean, no, I grew up suburb. in... A, yeah, I, I, I both grew up in early on and currently live in a fairly uh what you'd consider suburban area so it's interesting mm -hmm. kind of like going from 
where I lived when I was like, you know, eight, nine years old was kind of totally that Mayfield lane type type deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just interesting. Cause I, I kind of, I, I lived that and then I moved away for a long time and I, I feel like I'm, you know, I don't live that lifestyle, the, the, you know, so much, but there's definitely people around here that, that do <laughs> like people who are suspicious. Uh, oh, definitely. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm not gonna, yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm not going to go into detail on it, but yeah, no. There's <laughs> come uh, on, spill the tea. This is your platform. some conspiracy theorists. Uh, yeah, you know, there's there's plenty of that going on around here. There's, I'm sure there's uh, some some people uh, you know peeking out their windows at all times. So it's <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't live in the suburbs, but you know, there's definitely some neighbors we had that really felt they felt a little backwoods. They felt a little yeah. a little scary. Mm-hmm. You don't want to you don't want to go too close to to their house. Yeah, I'll I'll just say it. The Neelys, they won't hear this. <laughs> <laughs> now we yeah. had kind of a we had kind of a Klopek house uh, next door at our old house in our in our last neighborhood. Oh uh, really? Uh, oh yeah, down to like the gigantic dead tree that that had been there for like a decade, and you know, uh-huh. you looked over and there was like twelve satellite dishes on the side of their house, and you know, hadn't been painted. <laughs> the backyard like the grass is like four feet long you know (laughs) (laughs) they were out there the one day and um she had a uh like a mannequin head on a on a stick and was like taking pictures of it whoa yeah yeah it was was interesting yeah so that it was a little clopacky it was a little (laughs) do you guys like joe dante i i'm i'm a big joe dante fan maybe not a huge one but i i love gremlins gremlins too those are like movies that definitely define my childhood i say gremlins is one of my favorite christmas movies absolutely as as it is uh yeah no gremlins was enormous like for me we it was it was one of those that i was like you know my older brother was old enough and i was like on that borderline of like i don't know if you should be watching this but i'm going to Uh You know, and I remember being about seven, eight years old. And it's like, this is my mission to see this movie. Uh, and I <laughs> yeah. did. It was great. Yeah, it's great. I, and I love um, Matinee. I don't know if you've ever seen that with John Goodman. And then Small Soldiers was yeah. one of my favorites growing up as a kid. Kill. Commandos, attack! I'm talking about toys that are so smart, when kids play with them, they play back. Chip Hazard reporting for duty. You put munitions, chips, and toys? Yeah, Small Soldiers was big for me. That was the only, that's definitely the Joe Dante that I watched a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Toy Story, but edgier. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> I love the design of all the Gorgonites. And mm-hmm. yeah, I love, I love Small Soldiers. I was, I was obsessed with it. But yeah, I think the only other one I saw was Gremlins 2, which I think I saw for the first time with you, Austin, at, at uh, in Ann Arbor. Yeah. And I, I never went back and saw the first Gremlins, but. The new batch is, is a wild ride. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another movie that he did was the Twilight Zone, the movie. Twilight Zone, the mm-hmm. movie. Um, he did one of the segments, the It's a Good Life segment. And uh, do you guys know that story about like the kid who you can't like say anything bad? You have to like um, do anything that he says or he'll like. In, in the original one, he turns the dad into a uh, like a jack in the box. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know the the Simpsons uh, Treehouse of Horror version of it. <laughs> yes, there's yes, there's a Simpsons version of it and a Joe Dante version of it, which 
scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Um, there's this very famous magic trick scene where the boy like forces his uncle to do a magic trick and this like hideous rabbit creature comes out of the the hat and they're all supposed to just act like it's like it's all it's all everything's all good and it's terrifying but it's funny because this movie reminds me of a twilight zone episode called the monsters are due on maple street it takes place almost in exactly the same type of setting, like on a cul-de-sac. And the episode starts with a spaceship kind of like coming overhead and then disappearing. And then all of a sudden, like people's electricity doesn't work. And then some people's houses, the electricity does work. And so they're like suspicious of that person. Charlie, the lights just went on in your house. Why did the lights go on in your house? What about it, Charlie? How come you're the only one with lights now? It's Tommy! He's the one! Oh, that's not true! It's basically the neighbors all start teaming up against different people, and basically the moral of the story is, like, the real monsters are man. (laughs) (laughs) Understand the procedure now? Throw them into darkness for a few hours and then sit back and watch the pattern. And this pattern is always the same? With few variations. They pick the most dangerous enemy they can find. And it's themselves. Then I take it this place, this Maple Street, is not unique. By no means. Their world is full of Maple Streets. And we'll go from one to the other and let them destroy themselves. One to the other. See, but that's what I love about this movie is like it it totally goes through that whole wave of like, you know, the paranoia and the tongue in cheek and all that. And and they they really are crazy. It's like the whole like the whole time they're setting it up and you're you're just like, oh, well, here's, you know, there's going to be some twist and something at the end. It's like, nope, it's exactly what they thought the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Should we do a little plot bop on this? Definitely. Yeah, I'm always going to promote a plot bop. Let's see here. We start out with a, uh, you know, shot from space, right? Zoom in, right? To uh, some somewhere, Nowheresville, America. Looks like somewhere in the middle of Iowa to me, but as you said, possibly Park Ridge. Point being, (laughs) suburban, generic as possible. Here we go. Real quick, uh, I like how the movie starts. It's the Universal logo, and they it is they actually zoom into the Earth behind the Universal logo. It's like okay, nice touch. It is it is very nice. We meet the uh, the neighbors on this street. A um, uh, Tom Hanks's character, Mister Peterson. Um, I really should know all their first names. What is his first name? It's uh, Ray. Ray. Ray Peterson. We meet his family. They're talking about going on vacation. Um, they want his wife wants to go to the lake, and all he wants to do is kind of hang around, do nothing for the summer. He's gonna have a nice, quiet week at home. He's talking about fixing the barbecue and <laughs> staycation. Cut to staycation, exactly. Um, his wife's kind of annoyed with it, but she goes for it. Um, cue our introduction to Art. Uh, he comes in and what he's hunting crows, I believe. Yes. 
um, <laughs> shoots yes. the head off of uh, one of Ray's uh, the the owl, which I assume Ray has put up to keep the crows away. Uh, (laughs) anyway we get into the discussion of the neighbors we haven't seen them we don't know anything about them um the boy says he believes that he saw them digging in the backyard possibly grave digging Mm -hmm. um we go we go from there i believe we meet ricky the the neighbor kid he's hanging out painting his house and you know he's an ongoing this is uh cory feldman he's an ongoing uh, presence in the movie he's just really loving this the this entertainment he watches he just sits and watches the whole the whole show go down. He's narrated. And I guess he kind of serves as the narrator, right? Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. an audience surrogate kind of. Yeah, exactly. Ricky and uh, Bruce Dern's character come on about the same time. Um, Bruce Dern being the uh, retired military. I don't know if we know exactly uh, what branch of the military he's from. I assume army. Yeah. But uh, comes on out. Takes he said his- he's done 18 months in the bush. I assume is Vietnam. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Side note. I've seen this movie many times. This past time watching is the first time I've noticed that in, in the beginning, um, his car, which is, I think is a Corvette, um, on the driveway, he has like a camo, like a, like a car cover over it, but it's like oh, a yeah. bush and it looks, <laughs> <laughs> I've just never noticed it before, but it's like, why is that bush on his driveway? Yeah. Why is that bush the shape of a car? Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah um, he's just camouflage everything everything absolutely and then art has that really weird bush camouflage when he's trying to shoot the crow when he's trying to shoot the crow he comes out yeah <laughs> um everybody's hiding in the bushes literally yeah i know i mean these neighbors take it very seriously and you know it's kind of the uh the the you know the whole tongue-in-cheekness of it is is just this mm-hmm. everyone's acting completely ridiculous um and it you know really just sets the stage for hey what's going on with these other neighbors that we don't know you know, yeah. let's, you know, um, so uh, I, I believe the first we see of the actual Clopex. It's I, when like Hans is it in the garbage comes scene? out. Well, he's, well no, okay, I think it's yeah. like Hans comes out to the uh, the porch. He yeah. does. This is this is one of the this is one of the aforementioned uh, ongoing quotes that Kim and I have is you know, when they're, they're sitting there arguing about who's going to go over and it's, you go over and well, he's your neighbor. Well, I mean, you're across from him. Well, yeah, well, we're all in the same street. You could go say hi to him too. You know? Yeah, but he's your neighbor. Well, no, he's your neighbor as well. No, but I'm over You're You share a property line with him. He's yeah, your, like, we're all on the same block. So, I mean, you could go too. So. No, it's, oh, we're all in the same town too, but you're right next to him. If you were going to say hi, you should probably, there he's going into the hut. You're, you're going to lose him because he's, he's going to go in. Well, there, now you've blown it, haven't you? No, I didn't blow it. He, went, he went into his house. Chicken? I'm not chicken because he went into his house. Well, he went into his You know, you look like a chicken in front of your son and everything. Your son. Your son. <laughs> <laughs> but then our second, I believe, uh, scene also with Hans and also way up there, one of my very favorites is the um, driving the garbage out to the, uh, out to the curb. Um, right. They're sitting watching the... Uh, watching the house and the garage door opens and Hans just comes out in this old car, drives out to the uh, end of the driveway, throws the trash, throws the trash in the can and just beats the crap out of it. (laughs) Yeah. In the storm, the, the storm really picks up and, um, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the funniest part to me is he just, if you, if you really watch this scene, he, he drops the trash in there does this whole dramatic beats the shit out of it and puts the lid back on. And it's really not any more in the can than when he started. Like it just doesn't look any different at all. So, yeah. 
It's just, <laughs> I really got a lot out of that one. But yeah, um, they really, when they see that, they're like, okay, we're definitely onto something here. I've never seen someone beat trash like that before. <laughs> I've never going seen on that. Here. I've never seen that. Um, so, uh, yeah, this really, this really kind of kicks them into high gear, I believe on the, uh, um, investigation. Well, yeah, the next day they literally root through the garbage truck trying to find what was in there, which is the garbies. Yeah, the garbies are here. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, I looked up those two garbage men, first of all, are fantastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, so one of them is Dick Miller. Yeah. Who's in like all of Joe Dante's movies? He's in Gremlins, totally. Gremlins too. Uh, just a very, very recognizable character actor. Right. Great guy. The fantastic guy, and he he does a great job. His partner in crime there, though, um, whose name I, I'm not remembering, but I looked him up too because I thought he was super familiar. And yeah, really, really nothing else. But yeah, <laughs> just a great duo. Those two. Yeah. Um, also yeah, notable through the trash and he's like, well, they say when it leaves the curb, it's, it's like public property. So you can do whatever you want. The Supreme court rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He has a right to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my favorite, one of, one of my other very favorite details is that that pile of garbage just stays there for the entire rest yes. of the <laughs> Everyone oh, drives over top of it. It doesn't move. <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts of this movie, because I think they did shoot it in sequential order. I think they must have. And they had the whole Universal Studio lot. Um, And so everything that happens in the movie is like a permanent fixture. If you ever go back, like like the owl's head is still shot off. Is it still there? Yeah, yeah. there's one scene where they go by it and like the the head is still off the the owl uh, like yeah. just like anything anything that happens in the movie is like a permanent stain on the movie totally yeah. no it is and it's even down to like um i mean even down if you look at like the backyard where all the holes are right there's like a yeah. shot from above where they're like digging in the yeah. dark and then they go over and they're digging and it's like obviously yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly the same the same yeah um which it should be you know absolutely that, that, that's yeah. good filmmaking good <laughs> good continuity yeah. there who's gonna clean all this up why you're gonna clean it up because you're a garbage man <laughs> one of his best lines in the movie um all right so, so they go through the trash they go through the trash their wives freak out and this is i believe uh the lead into our uh introduction to the rest of the family the ladies say all right the, stop being ridiculous carrie fisher and um Bruce Dern's wife, uh, Mrs. Rumsfeld. Can't remember her name. The sex kitten. The, yeah, exactly. No tan lines. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite Feldman moments. Looking good. <laughs> no tan lines this morning, Mrs. Rumsfeld. <laughs> and then what does Bruce Dern say? He's like, the kid's a meatball. A meatball, <laughs> I think is what he said. Um, they make the brownies, march on across the street, with the uh, the the military music, the, yeah, the, uh, yeah, there's yeah. like an overhead shot of the yep. American flag. Whenever they're like marching, yep, yeah. exactly. <laughs> He's got the brownies up on the tray. Cue fall through the porch. I believe for the second time you fall that somebody falls through the porch. Yeah, the first time being with the with the bees. There go the damn brownies. Pick them up. Answer the door. Here you go, Sonny. Little something for the old sweet tooth. In you go. Uh, <laughs> 
Right, I think you missed the bit that Walter goes missing. The older neighbor. That's a that's a. Was that one. before? Yeah, that's so that's when they get the super suspicious, right? Oh, uh, I am yeah, out. They of find his tope, toupee in the house. They go into Walter's house, and he's not there, but his toupee is there. You're correct because that's where they retrieve it from. All right, all right, back it up, back it up. After the garbage <laughs> scene, uh, they find Queenie outside by herself. Go to let her in. That's the dog. Queenie's the dog. Yep. The dog. Fun fact about Queenie: yes. same dog in Silence of the Lambs. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. A great actor. <laughs> it's like a little mini poodle or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cute it's dog. like seven. You know, probably about five pounds. Um, <laughs> fantastic scene, by the way, with the uh, you know just real chef's kiss with the with the zoom in when the when we first are looking at the Klopak house. I believe this is actually when he comes out to get the paper and everyone's everyone's yeah. intently watching. Yeah, um, some intense great. zooms in this movie. But the last intense zoom is on the dog and the dog's like <laughs> yeah, really exactly. squinting its eyes. I was cracking <laughs> up at that shot of the dog. It was very good. It's <laughs> so funny. All right, so backing up to the, the they they break into Art's house ultimately, right? I think Art breaks the window or possibly no, it's Bruce Dirk. No, he Durk. cuts it out. Yeah, a soldier's way saves the day. <laughs> they break into Art's house. They find his toupee, um, and they all freak out about it. They go and basically they break a bunch of stuff. Art's like smoking cigars, walking around, talking like uh, talking like Walter's dead, just making the assumption. <laughs> One of my other favorite scenes because you know this is like Art's Art's just always eating whenever he's in the kitchen, so he's got a plate of something out, and they yeah. come through and just smash the plate. <laughs> Fantastic scene. Yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, I got some homemade cookies in the fridge. And then Feldman oh, some- <laughs> flies through the door and smashes the cookies. Okay, <laughs> let's get out of here. <laughs> if you look online, too, there's outtakes of that. And um, the guy who plays art, Rick DeGroman, okay. it's him doing that scene like six times. And Feldman oh, yeah. keeps missing the the cookies. And, <laughs> and, and like R- Rick seems like genuinely annoyed. That, oh, like, really? He's not, he's not coming through the door at the right time. <laughs> Got to keep doing this over and, and over. Apparently, Hanks and, and this Rick guy did not get along either. Oh, so, really? Rick Rick is, <laughs> seems a little prickly. Prick, oh, prickly Rick. <laughs> prickly, huh? Interesting. There's some real tension between him and Hanks in the movie. Definitely. I can believe it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, even, you know, well, it's in character. I can imagine, say, uh, wouldn't be an easy neighbor to have. Uh, <laughs> All right, so so we get out of the house, freak out, come to Jesus with the wives. Now we go over to the Klopax house. Mm-hmm. Very awkward, dark, dingy. Once again, some of my very most favorite scenes in here. The um, what's your name, Hans? Oh, a fine Christian name, Hans Christian Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, Catholic? <laughs> we were just talking about Hans Christian Anderson in our Little Mermaid episode. It's all connected. Hans Christian Anderson. <laughs> they just make it generally awkward. Every everybody handles everything in the worst possible way they could. Yeah, particularly Bruce Dern. Yeah, he, particularly Bruce Dern. He's really sticking it to the Clopex. Literally tearing the wallpaper off of the walls. Yeah, <laughs> I think of it every single time I'm anywhere that has wallpaper, and there's just like a teeny bit. I'm just like, I just want to. <laughs> rip it and then he's like oh oh i should like, try to like put it back <laughs> and you like you knew you were doing it you just kept going 
And like the family is looking directly at him. Like they're in the couch that's facing him. It's in plain sight. What's He's like the destroying most awkward thing I could possibly do right now. Uh, yeah, it's great. And they're just all so weird. Everything about it. the sardines. Is... Yes. Yeah, pretzels and sardines. I'm trying to cut back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. And God, like all the like little like squish noises that they oh make like of him like putting his fingers in the sardine can it just like look sounds so gross Carrie Fisher she really sells him up the river on that one big time it's like, <laughs> yeah. hold on have one um I like what Bruce Stern's like Klopek what is that Slavic and he's like no no Not a nine on the tension scale Rube Not a nine on the tension <laughs> scale yeah Rube a great line <laughs> there's one other thing i think that we glossed over is there's a conspiracy that they're satanists oh yeah i think we did gloss over that. i think that's before the garbage scene because there's a uh he goes over and he's talking about the incubus the incubus the succubus they have a book that's called the theory of demonology and you're chanting ray you're chanting <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna listen to this now <laughs> I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is a pal. Yeah. Incredible chance in this movie. Yeah, that's from like the little Satan sacrifice dream sequence. Yeah. Well, no, that's what Art says to him first, and then he and then he hears it in the dream sequence. Yeah. yeah. When he's on a giant barbecue. Yeah. yeah. No, and I think because afterwards, this is where he came up because it, the, and, and I guess the other thing we missed too was the the whole ice pick story. Yeah, I really kind of screwed this up, did it out of order. Art tells the ice <laughs> pick good. story, the guy with the uh, making the lemon, the phosphates. Um, right. Right. He tells the whole story with Corey Feldman. This is this is early, early on and really kind of plants the seed um, about the, uh, the the murders that happened in the hot summer. And the guy, the the, the ice cream guy killed, the, killed his family because um, that's who Art comes back in the uh, in the dream as too. Yeah. Well, the movie is a little bit scrambled, so it's okay to have yeah. a, a a plot bop that's all over the place here because uh, oh. I definitely a few times was like, did I miss something? And I did like rewind like some of those big conversations. They they mm-hmm. there's a lot of expository dialogue going on. Yes, so they go into the house now. Well, you missed the bit about the femur. They find the femur. I was going to say, too. that was before they... That's also before they go in the and house. And the digging. It? it was the femur and the digging is before they go in the house. So, yeah, it really happens a lot later than than I than I thought. So, all right. <laughs> yeah, this is a most in-depth plot. By <laughs> I, this is a whole episode is going to be a plot. <laughs> well, all right. Well, you know, we can, we can, we can speed let's it up pop, a little bit. Let's get... No, We're, no, no. Let's get through it. We got to get every single... We got to get through it. All right. This We're going to back it up. We're going to back it up one more time. Treehouse. We're going to actually just talk right. about this whole movie backwards. We're not giving them credit, really. I guess, I guess the problem is I'm, I've am i seen the movie, so it seems obvious to me from the start. I'm not giving them really credit on like the journalistic journey that they all went on here and, yeah, and yeah, really yeah. covered the details because you're correct. There were several scenes. There was the femur bone. There was also the note. So <laughs> it was following him putting the note. They, so, they, so they leave Art's house. Ray writes a note that says he tries he rewrites it several times. He writes ultimately just says, I have your dog and puts it in the box and he puts the two pay in the box too. Right. Yeah. I believe it's following that <laughs> evening is when he has the dream, right? Yes. When they go through the incubus succubus, they talk about the book. 
Mm-hmm. He has the dream, human sacrifice, lots of chanting. Um, cue the next day. He hasn't slept. That's when he's out back and he's got the, uh, he's, he's got orange like juice next to him. <laughs> he's um, just like slowly drinking that orange juice. I love that. Yeah. I was like watching Mr. Rogers too. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think, oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. the night before he has the dream. That was in the morning. Yeah. Well, and he, he's watching like The Exorcist and yes. um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's Texas Chainsaw, there's The Exorcist, but I've never been able to figure out what the first movie is that's on. Oh, I just learned. With the yeah. actual sacrifice. It's a real movie. It's a real I assume movie. it is. I mean, the other two are. Yeah, that makes sense. The backyard scene. He's he's I think he's trying to ignore all this stuff because it's like Corey Feldman says, you know, he doesn't want to believe that his neighbors are up to no good because then he's asked, he's got to deal with it. Right. I feel like he's uh, at this point in the movie, he's like kind of just dove in and uh, enough that he's like exhausted and he's decided like, nope, I'm out. I'm over it. And then here comes art. And he and, and he and he and he kind of snaps for a second. So he's crushing the beer cans, freaking yeah. out. You know, this is this is to me this plus uh, one of the uh, the the scenes at the end, which we'll get to. Um, this is like Tom Hanks really uh, f- like developing his classic freak out. You know, mm-hmm. like he's just you know th- this is like one of his like the epitome when he gets the cans and he crushes them and throws them. Oh, I'm just trying to get some goddamn sleep. I just want some sleep. This is so much plastic. This one's <laughs> just trying to have a vacation. Just trying to. All I wanted to do was stay home and fix the barbecue. Oh, and that's another good detail. If you ever notice that scene, and that's where he's sitting across from the barbecue, and it's like this, like out big, like outdoor, like brick oven thing, and it's completely falling apart. He's like, "No, I'll fix it this week. I will." <laughs> it's like, yeah. "You're not fixing that." <laughs> oh, by the way, that movie is called Race with the Devil. It's for the devil. Mystery solved. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, it's like two of the most iconic horror movies ever. Then like that one. Then this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it had this. Yeah, it had this sacrifice scene in it, so it was important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I love I love that dream sequence. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. He's like, just mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't let them do to you what they did to me. <laughs> um, all right. So backyard scene. Art comes in. Uh, Ray's pissed off about it. They're talking. Art's trying to convince him to get back in, get back into this thing. And he really doesn't want to. This is when Queenie shows up and she's got a gigantic bone. Mm-hmm. Um, she's Art's playing fetch. He says, Ray, do you know what this is? Says, it's a bone. Mm-hmm. The femur bone. <laughs> yeah. They freak out. Yet another just fantastic uh, uh you know, camera camera shot is when when the when they realize and they just start screaming and just the zoom in and out. It's so like, cheesy. It's Walter. It's so cheesy. It's so perfect. Only Joe Dante has the bravery to to do something (laughs) that dumb in a movie. It's like just go crazy with the zooms, man. Just in and out, in and out, in and out. Beautiful. Yeah, it it was it was perfect. Um, This one, they throw the note back over, and now Tom Hanks is like, "Oh, okay. This is this is really happening. This is really happening." So, can we? Are are we? Have we covered everything? Are we back to meeting the Clopex? Can we? Can we meet the Clopex? (laughs) I think we're at the Clopex now. I think we. Now we get to the Clopex house. Go inside with the brownies. Get the sardines. We meet hands and tear the walls up. Um, 
we meet Hans, we meet the and then we meet the doctor. He comes up, we find out uh he is a apparently a painter. Um he's been painting, but he's got like blood all over his hands. Um says it's paint, but but we yeah. yeah, Tom Hanks shakes his hand and it's just yeah. like covered in blood. It's the like, um yeah. the yeah. candles on the table are also one of my favorite details. <laughs> <laughs> but the candles would be nice, and there's just like 50 of them all <laughs> it's like a campfire in the middle yeah. of the table um the actor that that plays the the doctor he's a familiar face to me i was like who is this guy i know i've seen him before his name's henry gibson and he's like a character actor that shows up in movies like magnolia nashville mm. the long goodbye he's, mm-hmm. he's he plays little, small parts in a lot of great mm. movies so i was like oh just one of those faces that pops up in movies yeah anyways bells were ringing for me too when he walked on screen i was like who is this guy he's got kind of like a like a like a eastern european paul simon northeastern like <laughs> paul simon was swedish oh my you god know? you just nailed it you nailed it like a nordic a nordic yeah. simon it's kind of what he looks like to me um he's as weird as the rest of the family basically but you know he's a he's, he's a doctor oh it'd be nice to have a doctor in the neighborhood and then there's Bruce Dern like turning the painting over like a bazillion times, being as, as awkward and weird as he could be. There's another Twilight Zone connection to that painting. Is there? So, like Rod Serling had this uh, show called The Night Gallery, okay. and that painting was a prop from that show. So oh. there's a lot of Twilight Zone Rod Serling connections going on here. But yeah, I just remember, yeah, kind of like Tom Hanks kind of like freaks out at some point during this Clopec hangout and yes. he like opens up like the basement door and a great Dane busts out, busts through a window. Yeah. Yep. All hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. Everybody freaks out. You didn't say you had a horse in this house or what does he say? <laughs> you keep a horse here? Yeah, it's Bruce Dern. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I believe that just kind of, uh, you know, everyone's embarrassed. They go back to the house and of course, um, Bruce Dern and uh, and and uh, and Art, you know, they're both they're both as, as enraged than ever. Totally still on the uh, on the on the hunt. The wives are very embarrassed. Um, you know, want to call this whole thing over. And uh, Tom Hanks, uh, you know, Tom, Tom Tom Hanks makes like he's uh, like he's good, but then twist. Mm-hmm. He's not. He is. No. He found. Yeah, he was just lying to his wife. As he's he lying to his wife. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of like anti-wife talk in this movie. Listen to your wife. Who listens to their wife? <laughs> Why don't you be a man and stand up to your wife? It does feel like very uh, cliche kind of suburban behavior, though, just to, True. you know, True. hate on your wife and all that. Yeah. Seems you very know. classic. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was, the you know, it was it was the, the comedy of the day. It was. Doesn't mean it's right. We should all respect our wives. We respect all women, especially wives. <laughs> so they find out like the Clopex, they're going to they're going to be out of town the next day. So they're like, oh, this is our perfect time to do our investigation, our big infiltration. They said they're going up to the, the university, apparently, to talk about moving again. They also touched on the naps while they were in there, too. We never heard about the naps up until this point. Apparently, the people that lived there before, they didn't really know very well either, but were presumably fairly normal people. And they mentioned them, but there's kind of they kind of touch on. Well, I didn't see a moving truck, and he says it was out there all day, which was very strange. <laughs> oh, Rube, he's at a nine. 
about a nine on the tension scale. But uh, yeah, they do kind of touch on that little foreshadow of like, well, hold on. Are these people crazy? Was there a moving truck? Was there not? And apparently nobody saw it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, a little, little plot development. Give them, give them some, uh, some credit for asking the right questions. Yeah. yeah. That's when Tom Hanks gives his like speech. And he's like, tomorrow I'm going over that fence. I'm going over and I'm not coming back <laughs> until I find a dead body. And his like eyes are so wide and he's not blinking at all. Yeah. <laughs> he looks about 20 yeah. pushing on his face. Like he's serious. Oh yeah. Oh, I see. I'm, I'm telling you, you get all sides of Tom Hanks in this movie. You get it's just a real, just a, a well-rounded performance. Yeah. Speak of a foreshadow of a great career. Yes. <laughs> we go into i believe we, we start bright and early the next morning this is when um carrie fisher uh is is leaving for the day the clopacs have gone and um he sends her up to the lake with his son yeah. art comes over first thing in the morning in his crazy golf get up outfit and he's like oh we're gonna play so much golf we'll be so tired to get a gun <laughs> yeah yeah she leaves the house and um and and then the action really begins. Cue Bruce Dern and all his military stuff. Mm-hmm. We're gonna break into the house. They gotta they gotta cut some uh, electrical wires. They get in, um, do some digging in the backyard, go investigate inside the house. Also, uh, Feldman uh, invites over his his buddy yes. Steve Coons. He's like, hey, dude. He's got the big afro. Shut up and paint your house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, you got you got Bruce Dern on the roof with a sniper. Animal crackers. He's sitting with his t- <laughs> yeah, animal, animal crackers. crackers. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh yeah, then there's that bit where uh, where Art gets like electrocuted and like flies off the like yep. the ladder or whatever. Very reminiscent yep. of Jurassic Park when the kid flies yeah. off the feds and gets electrocuted. Yep. It's all connected. <laughs> well, yeah, and you got Bruce Dern. I mean, father of uh, Laura, Laura Dern, obviously. Oh my God! Another connection. Another connection. Yeah, yeah this another. movie is also thinking made me remind me of Blue Velvet in the way it depicts suburbia, and uh, obviously another sure. Laura Dern movie. So another connection there. Wow! Bust out the the red yarn and the pins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they cut the power, not without being uh, electrocuted. Go over the fence. They actually did manage to kill the wiring. Um, this is when uh, Tom Hanks and Art, Ray and Art. Sorry, I keep uh, mixing. Um, they go over the fence, start some digging, start some investigating, um, and uh, eventually end up in the house in the basement investigating, looking for anything they can find. They find nothing in the backyard. There's holes all over the place. One of my other favorite lines when they're they're investigating and they see the uh, the furnace and he, Art says to him, oh, uh, a home furnace, you think that's supposed to go to 5,000 degrees, you think? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think what else is going on because this sequence goes on for quite some time when uh, Tom Hanks is digging in the basement, Art's standing by. Um, I believe this is when Corey Feldman's got the whole group, the whole gaggle over. It's basically turning into a party over at his place. Mm-hmm. Pretty hilarious because you know you, you, he's still got like all the paint cans out throughout the whole thing, like where he spilled the paint on the speakers at the beginning yeah. of being like there's literally like one pillar of the entire house that's painted and that's it he's done absolutely nothing the entire weekend but he's got the whole group over um this is when he calls the pizza dude because everyone's about to leave oh man we're gonna go get some mcdonald's or something no that's the best part i called the pizza dude (laughs) now cue the clopax return the first time right 
Mm-hmm. They're gonna, they come back. They see what's going on. They see that uh, I believe they, they must see them in the basement. Well, they explode the house, don't they? Before they come. Well, no, they, they show up with the police. No, no, they, they show up and then they just back away and they leave. And then um, Art gets home. And they and, and Bruce Dern spots Art um, getting out of his house and start tries to radio in that they're home. And that's that's right around when um, the police show up also with the Klopex. So the, the, the Klopex came home, saw what was going on, and they went to get the police. Um, right. And then around the same time they show up, Hanks hits the gas line, come on, it comes running out of the house, and um, all hell basically breaks loose. The house explodes in house grand explodes. fashion. Art makes it out. Ray does not make it out, but, you know, kind of come, comes dramatically stumbling out um through the flames yeah. very dramatic he's music. in the house when it when it blows up and <laughs> yes. he walks out with a black eye for some reason <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a real shiner of a of a thing <laughs> it's like the, funny. <laughs> the whole house blows up and he's just like oh i just got hit in the eye <laughs> yeah by something well who knows there's stuff flying around but he's in a bad way obviously uh, it's a pretty cool shot when he walks out because like that whole it all crumbles yeah. of the of the roof mm-hmm. like, crumbles right behind him as he walks it, in. Yeah. They must have only had one shot for that, you know. I assume yeah, like, so. he has like no reaction to it crumbling behind him. No, too. no. He has no reaction to anything. Like he almost gets shot by his friend and he's like, "Whoa." And then like the chainsaw goes through the wall. He's just like, "What the heck?" You know, like he doesn't really like react too much to the, these near-death experiences. No. No. Interestingly, I was watching that too. I thought the same thing. They must have really only had one shot at destroying that house. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting to me was um if you really watch that that scene too, there's like a lot of like the railing and stuff that's like kind of in front of him, like it collapses, but then gets like pulled back. Yeah, so I yeah. feel like like they like most of that must have been on like cables or something, and they must yeah, have yeah. yanked it somehow. So now we're at the ending of this film, which yes, this is the final scene. Well, can we just say that? Okay. I think this is the end of the plot pop because the end is like its own thing. It's like, it's, it, 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 it is. takes oh, yeah. many twists and turns. Great job on the plot pop, by the way. Well, thank Even you. though we're still talking about the, not there, we're not it, but not the ending is different. I wanna, we're still going to go back to like three other things that we missed. It's going to happen. All right. Uh, the plot pop continues. Yeah. Keep it going. The, <laughs> There's still more plot. This is one of several times that Tom Hanks has gone from like, this is happening. You know, I'm in denial. My neighbors are crazy. No, it's not happening. Oh, wait, it is happening. No, it's not happening. And he's at this like final low point where he's just like, no, I give up. I am 100% defeated. I literally just got exploded. And, <laughs> you know, my life is my, my life is over. I'm probably going to jail is, yeah. is, is where he's feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that big, the big speech. We're the lunatics. Not, it's us, not them. Remember what you were saying about people in the burbs are people like Skip, people who mow their lawn for the eight hundredth time and then snap. Well, that's us. It's not them. That's us. We're the ones who are vaulting over the fences and peeking into people's windows. 
We're the ones who are throwing garbage in the streets and lighting fires. We're the ones who are acting suspicious and paranoid. We're the lunatics. Us. It's not them. And again, very reminiscent of that Twilight Zone episode. I'm just going to say it again. Like there's literally like that exact speech in the movie. I believe you. Just watch Twilight Zone, guys. It's a great show. I have to say his wife, you, you want to talk to talk about um, Ray not reacting to anything in this movie. His, his wife is incredibly supportive. I'm definitely more supportive than my wife would have been to this <laughs> debacle. I have to say your wife, <laughs> you listen, listen to your, your wife, wife. <laughs> just at the end when the house is already exploded and he's just sitting there in bandages and she's just yeah. like, Oh, honey. <laughs> while, while the cop is like reciting all the crimes. <laughs> all the charges. <laughs> oh, honey. You and your She's like, yep, yeah, that's my husband. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> so he throws himself in the ambulance and uh, in comes the doctor. Tom Hanks obviously is very apologetic for blowing up his house. Um, tells him all about how he's going to come back and when he gets out of jail, he's going to come and help him rebuild his house, which is pretty hilarious. Yeah. He, he references back to the, uh, the, the, the tools from the beginning. Yeah. He's got the tools. <laughs> My father-in-law gave me this tool set <laughs> and, and uh, the doctor does not believe him. Um, Cause apparently uh, through all their searching, they did not look inside of the home furnace that goes to 5,000 degrees calls him out here we find out the ambulance driver is none other than hans he floors it tries to get out of there tom hanks is fighting for his life um little mini chase scene i guess um yeah. crashes into the pizza dude about a million pizzas come out of the come flying out and uh, ultimately uh i believe it is the stretcher comes flying out of the back of the ambulance when he crashes into art's house he crashes uh, through art's front door stretcher falls out Boom, opens the Clopex trunk. Tom Hanks makes a citizen's arrest, apparently. <laughs> citizen's arrest! Citizen's arrest! Well, what's in the trunk? Well, the, poli- the police come on over while Tom Hanks is uh, shouting about this, and I think it's Dr. Clopex says, you have no evidence. And Corey Feldman looks under and says, we do now, bro. Whips open the blanket. Donna skeletons, bones all over the place. They were right the whole time. Who saw that? Filled with bones. Skulls. Bones. Bones. Apparently he only collects the skulls, though. So I'm a little confused about why. I guess they must have dug them up because they knew everybody was. I guess I've never really uh, broken down this part of the plot. But why did they have the bones in the trunk? Was it because they knew they were going to come over? Well, this is why I was saying I, th- I think like the the discussion about the ending has to be its own thing. I think it does. I'm yeah. very confused by the ending. <laughs> like, what is it that the doctor says to him? Like, he's like, "I want your bones." He's like, "I want your skull," and he's like about to like put a syringe in him. So when he's in the ambulance, he what he says to the him is, "I don't." He's basically, "I don't believe you," right? And Tom Hanks is like, "What? You don't?" He's like, "No." Right. And what he says is he goes, Calm now. You expect me to believe that you were in my basement and you didn't look inside my furnace and you didn't see my skulls. So he has like he collects the skulls and I guess he burns off the flesh and whatnot in his furnace. So apparently there were some in there. But this is the part that never that doesn't make sense to me. And 
there must be an explanation because you know i can't imagine there would be a plot hole in a, <laughs> such a perfect film as this <laughs> but uh why does he have a trunk full of bones and he left some in his basement like like it seems like they dug up the bones from the backyard but maybe missed the femur because they thought everyone was suspicious but then they loaded him in the trunk but what is he doing in general it's very sloppy he he collects them i told you they're ghouls they're ghouls (laughs) (laughs) is it illegal to collect bones what's so bad about having a bunch of bones um well Zach, I don't know. fighting fighting for the bone collectors out there <laughs> there's nothing wrong with collecting a few bones well, guys i mean if, if the only evidence you have is having a lot of bones then i don't know if you can convict a guy and just a guy having bones is what i'm saying you, you oh citizens arrest him <laughs> i mean as horrible as the suburbanites are i mean i always took away that they were that they were vindicated in the end but i mean i don't know are yeah. you saying are, are you saying that maybe I've been interpreting this film all wrong? Or are they just like, no. you know? Uh, I mean, it's clear they're bad guys by the end of it. Yeah, I think so. Well, he cops out to it, though, the, the doctor, yes. and saying that he was up to something no good, right? Because he does. He does. And there's also the revelation that Walter was in the hospital and that the, there's like the whole toupee thing was a big misunderstanding and... Yeah, because the Klopeks were collecting their mail, and that's why it was in between the magazines. Because he's like, oh, when he pulls it out, he says, I found this in the Klopeks house in between magazines that were addressed to Walter. Which makes sense, because it was in the mail. So, yeah, the ending is basically, we think that it's, oh, they're not the crazy ones. Everybody else are the crazy ones. Right. And they're about to get arrested, but then they don't get arrested. Actually, they weren't crazy. No. He does have a trunk full of bones. Right. And then Corey Feldman looks straight at the camera and says, God, I love this street. God, I love this street. <laughs> yeah. Credits roll. Credits roll. Man, my main takeaway here is that they were right this time, and that's going to vindicate them and embolden them and they're definitely not going to be right the next time that they think there's something crazy going on you know i think that all of these people probably just ended up in jail ultimately (laughs) yeah ever heard of a little thing called breaking and entering yeah one of my favorite scenes in the movie when they're after they break into walter's house (laughs) and he takes the whatever it is off the side table and puts it in his pocket Ray goes, do you want to not steal that from our neighbor's house? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we made it through the movie. I mean, it's that's to me, that's what the movie is like this. This movie is all details. It's not a Mm -hmm. the best part of it, right? Like, yeah, there's a there's a plot we can get into and and, and talk Mm -hmm. kind of slightly more deeply about. But like the things that the the actual storyline is so unimportant to me compared to just the way they tell it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just uh, just the little tidbits everywhere. That's 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 kind of what it's all about. You yeah, know? the strange lines and the looks and the dogs. <laughs> yeah, just all their all their weirdness about them, and they just yeah, it's it's really the focus of the movie. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that I had a good time with this movie. I know Austin dodged the question earlier, but I'll say I had a good time with the Burbs. But you know, I kind of agree with Austin. The ending kind of threw me for a weird loop i didn't Mm -hmm. i didn't love the ending it it was just it just felt like it was was a little too too crazy uh i I didn't it didn't need the extra 
double back on the twist kind of thing. That that felt oh, I, that kind of took me aback. But the double back. What? So you thought they were? You thought the 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 uh, Klopeks were going to be innocent? Yeah, I kind of like that subversion, and like the you know the paranoid neighbors being proven assholes. You know that that felt right morally. But then for them to be like, oh, we were right all along. All of our, all of our crazy shit we were doing was justified. Like that, mm-hmm. that just doesn't feel right to me. But you know, it's a goofy movie; it doesn't really matter. But that was just like kind of <laughs> how I felt on the first watch. Yeah, I mean, I I, I got to say, I didn't expect it. Uh, you know, which I guess is kind of mm-hmm. the kind of the goal there, the double triple fake out. Uh, <laughs> even the takeaways that you can that you can have about suburban life and and the ridiculousness of it all like i mean i think it was definitely obviously it was playing on that but in terms of trying to make any 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 larger social commentary or anything like that i mean i just feel like uh it's removed from that like i, I don't think at the time and genre that this movie comes from i think that, that wasn't even on the radar it's just silly, you know, and I and I and yeah. it just doesn't apologize for being so, you know. Question I have: Is this a horror movie? Are they trying to make it a horror movie? It's like from the very beginning oh. with the like, like Frankenstein organ music throughout the entire movie, and you know, like the lightning crashing and you know, kind of the dark comedy of it. And mm-hmm. showing the horror movies, and Joe Dante is like kind of known for doing horrorish type movies. We're supposed to be doing horror movies in October, but I guess we're getting started a little early. It's not really horror, but it's definitely playing on horror tropes. Yeah, no, it's not scary. Well, it's your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, I think it is. Yeah, I, I think comedy horror is a is a accurate um description of it i think it's i mean i'm seeing him i'm imdb says uh comedy mystery thriller i don't know if i go thriller (laughs) (laughs) austin why don't you say what you feel about this movie you're holding back he's not into it (laughs) i'm I'm just well this is what i'll say you know you said it was peak hanks this is peak feldman but this is not dante's peak (laughs) No. What do you consider Dante's peak? Gremlins. Yeah. Gremlins one over two. Uh, I think you got to go with the classic. Gremlins two is fun as hell, though. I don't know. I just I felt like this one. I wasn't feeling it as much as I do the Joe Dante movies. I don't know why. I just it, the the comedy wasn't really landing for me. I thought that like the plot was very confusing <laughs> as we found out through the last hour. This is why I didn't want to save my opinion right off the bat because talking about it with you and seeing the joy in your eyes with all the <laughs> quotes. I mean, it is great. There are great lines. I love uh, when he's like a hideous raging inferno or like <laughs> when he's like, okay, hip cats when he's like sitting on the, on the car, you know, there's like, there's a lot of really fun things, but yeah, I just, I, I felt like the movie is just like not tying together and the whole ending is very confused. You know, it's like, are they good? Or are they bad? I think the point is they were all crazy. And the fact that the Klopex were guilty and that they were, you know, the the neighbors were correct is only by chance. 
right? Like mm-hmm. there's absolutely no reason that they should feel or should have been vindicated. They're all yeah. as much of an idiot as you, as, as you thought they were to begin with. It's just by sheer luck that they happen to be correct about this thing. And I yeah. don't know. I, to me, I think it's like, like you mentioned, like, it, you know, in, in the twilight zone episode, it didn't end that way, right? Like the, they they were the crazy ones. Yeah. So yeah, the double twist. I wasn't expecting the double twist. Point of it was like you know it's a trope that you know you know we're we're playing into this very obvious like well yeah obviously these people are all crazy, and I don't know to me at the, the end of it doesn't suggest that they're not insane. They're all clearly insane. Yeah. <laughs> just happened to be right in this one instance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just like the trunk full of bones. I was just like, really? Like, we're just, it's, it's very like, they're just kind of like, well, let's just wrap this up. <laughs> I, exactly. Yeah. They, they got through it. They, they're like, we hit all the scenes, the touch points we wanted to. We <laughs> yeah. had all the, the, the laughs and, and we're, we're just done here. No one's watching anymore. No one's paying yeah. attention. It's a very rushed ending. And I think part of that is at the time, you know, we're in a WGA strike right now. The Writers Guild of America is on strike. And at that time, when they went into production, the Writers Guild had just started a strike. So they couldn't have writers on set. The script was what it was. So a lot of the lines in the movie are ad-libbed. So you can get away with it that way. If, If it's just improvised, then it's not written. So like, a lot of the lines like uh, Satan is your pal, like that stuff, like yeah. that's all um, ad lib stuff. So Joe Dante was, was really rushing through the production because and I had to. Yeah, it's like they had the script that they had and they shot it all in sequential order and the verbs. The verbs. That's what it is. And, you know, I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did. <laughs> I'm glad the writers were striking. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect movie. It's perfect. They would have just screwed it up. All right. But apparently this movie got the worst reviews of any other movie in 1989. Like everybody hated it. It just got (laughs) universally panned. Um, Believe it. The New York Times wrote the movie is, quote, as empty as a movie can be without being a vacuum. Wow. Wow. I would agree with that. Yeah, and Roger, you you would agree that it's that as empty as a vacuum. Oh, absolutely! I never, I never claimed that it had any like real message to take away with it. You know, <laughs> I feel like it is a vacuum in that it's like sucking up every possible idea. <laughs> I just enjoy what all the actors do with it. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Stern is great. Carrie Fisher does does all right. You know, yeah, she's looking good. Leia herself. Yeah, you may know her from Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Should we do our, our final thoughts on the burbs here? And that well, those were we my final did. thoughts. That's <laughs> we just did. <laughs> I mean, you should give your final thought, Zach. You know, I had a fun time watching the burbs. You know, it does. I feel like when they actually do go to the Clopex house, I feel like the movie starts to kind of. I start to lose a little interest, or like I don't know, like. It loses some of the tension when you actually get to see meet the Clopex, and then, mm. then you have just like the ending. It just like keeps getting more and more weird at the end. But there's a lot of fun stuff, a lot of fun scenes before that section, and there's still some fun lines and fun moments uh, in the last half of the movie too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just yeah, talking about it 
with Rich. And yeah, you know, it makes me appreciate all the all the all the good moments, all the fun scenes, and it does make me want to watch more Joe Dante movies because yeah. you know it definitely. Even if the script isn't perfect, like Joe Dante, he he makes it a, as fun as it the script possibly could be. Yeah, with the zoom in, the bee in the mouth, <laughs> the bee, oh, in, the bee in the mouth. mouth. <laughs> yeah, just like little details like that. You're not gonna get that from other filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. he's one in a million. He's yeah, I I love Joe Dante. I'm a little eh on this movie, but. I appreciate it being brought to our attention. I'm glad that I finally saw it. And, I, you know, it is it is fun. You know, we're having a good time here. But I think that Joe Dante can really bring it with the fun level. He follows this up with Gremlins 2. That's his next movie after this one. So it's kind yeah. of a, a big course correction. Well, that movie's pretty bonkers, though, too. <laughs> I know it's like kind of a cult classic now. And I feel like oh, the yeah. Burbs has kind of been reclaimed too over the years. People people stick up for the Burbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean it's considered a cult classic now. What time of year did it come out? I'm curious. Actually, was it? I thought I saw February somewhere, but I could be. Yeah, wrong. it was February 1989 is when it came out. So kind of a weird timing too. Like if it was going for like even if you look at the cover of it, it's like it kind of is going for that like horror thriller kind of look to it obviously tongue in cheek but like february it's kind of a weird time you know yeah yeah it's sort of a dead time to release a movie yeah i think it did commercially do very well um in the theaters but just got panned by all the critics oh yeah a couple of what well fun details i want to there actually is a gremlins uh little easter egg in there the, there's a gremlins is on a cereal box oh yeah yeah which i guess that that actually was a, a type of cereal you could buy at one point was gremlin cereal i heard Ooh, i try that and i also like in the beginning of the movie when you first see the dog like running around and like pooping on the guy's lawn like in the score of the mu- movie there's like this like dog yelping like <laughs> in the mix of the, the score as soon as it shows you uh, and i love that little detail <laughs> dog yelps in the in the score yeah it's a very uh unhinged sound design like when he like falls off the bench and like there's like a sound of like bowling pins <laughs> like, like mm-hmm. a strike like a bowling strike uh there's a lot of really weird little sound effects going on but that's kind of joe dante hallmark he's just having fun with it he's a silly guy well rich it's been real. Thank you so much for your time, man. Um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I want to thank our listeners for listening to the podcast as well. Make sure to give our podcast five stars on wherever you're listening to this podcast. And make sure to follow us on social media at Film with Family on Instagram, YouTube, all that good stuff. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send us an email at filmwithfamilypodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow me and Austin on Letterboxd. My handle is Zachary's Wife or Austin's Austin C. Pruitt. See what movies we're, we're watching on there. Yep. And we love the movies. And we love our family. Oh, I wanted to ask you 
about your experiencing Jurassic Park last week. Um, you guys, yeah, I know. Fantastic. You guys took the kids out to see Jurassic Park in 3D, the 30th anniversary. Yep. And uh, how how'd it go? I mean, it was great. You know, I, I saw the movie in the theater when it first came out, and and I've seen it many times since. Loved it. Um, I did not know that the uh, the 3D version came out ten years ago, um, yeah. in twenty thirteen, and it, it is very well done. I was really really super impressed with uh, with how well that works. Um, it may be the kind of thing that I was aware of previous, but. Um, forgot about but anyhow no i was pleasantly surprised um by how nicely that worked out but yeah i mean just a it's it's a classic you know it's one of those ones every time i watch it i'm looking out for something that just doesn't work anymore or doesn't fit and it just isn't there you know yeah was there a scene that really stuck out to you this most recent viewing i think every time i watch it i pay a little bit more attention to um the 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 nedry dodson um you know how all that works like when i was a kid i didn't really give a shit about any of that and it's all about the dinosaurs and the and the exciting scenes and i think every single time i watch it i just pick up on more of those details like like um like i never noticed before when dodson gets out of the taxi to to meet nedry and he just leaves the door open like the guy comes around and slams he's like what the fuck you know it's like just this whole like he's a total asshole and like uh you know, and then obviously in like the the Hammond side of things, it's which is a lot more prominent in the in the book. But like, it's one of those things. Like, you know, I think a lot of people say like Hammond's portrayed as way more of an asshole in the book than he is in the movie, which I think is right. But if you're paying attention, there's a lot of little Easter eggs about how he's a, you know a cheapskate, really, even though he says spared no expense, and like even though he's like as a character he's all jolly there's actually a lot of little references in there that i you know picked up on a little more this time i think all right well let's just end it there thanks again rich i really appreciate it nice to talk to you rich nice to meet you this has been fun nice meeting you zach yes thanks rich love you very much bye boys